going to be looking at Jude verse 20 mainly today. I'll start by reading Jude verses 17 through 23. But you, beloved, must remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, not having the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And on some who are doubting, have mercy. And for others, save, snatching them out of the fire. And on others, have mercy with fear, hating even the tunic polluted by the flesh. So we're looking at Jude's application section here. Jude 17 through 23 is the application section of Jude's letter, or in other words, the instruction manual on how to contend for the faith against the impostors. This is the section in which Jude, who loves combinations of three, gives his readers three commands on how they must contend for the faith against the impostors who have crept in unnoticed. So in Jude 17 through 19, we looked at Jude's first command. He commands the church to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then second, Jude 20 and 21, Jude commands the church to keep yourselves in the love of God. And then we'll look at later, Jude 22 through 23, the third command. Jude commands the church to have mercy on all the unbelievers who have been being led astray by the impostors. Jude, being full of the Holy Spirit, writes these three imperatives that the church must follow obediently to contend earnestly for the faith. So on last time, we spent some time answering the question, what does Jude mean when he writes, keep yourselves in the love of God? And today I want to look into that answer a little deeper to gain further understanding. But I said before, the simple meaning is to keep yourself in the sphere or circle of God's love in such a way that God increases your experience of his love to the point that his love is overflowing in and upon you, which in turn causes you to continually love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Or we can say to love the brothers and sisters in the church. So in other words, Jude is saying, keep yourselves in God's love for you. Or, Keep yourselves in God's delight for you. Jude is saying the same thing that our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said about abiding in the love of God. Listen to the words of Jesus. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, 
he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he cleans it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus uses the word abide in these verses ten times. And the word abide here means to dwell in, to remain in, to stand firm in, and to rest in. We get a picture from Jesus' teaching here that when we abide in him and his supernatural life flows through us, we experience God's love in such a way that it causes us to bear much fruit which glorifies God. And in return, we continually have a greater experience of God's love for us in Christ Jesus. Jesus also says, apart from me, you can do nothing. This gives us the idea that any works we do outside of Christ are not pleasing to God because they are not feeding because they are feeding our love for ourselves. And we are only doing those works out of a religious enthusiasm to be seen by the people around us for our glory. Even as Christians, when we do stuff without abiding in Christ, it is not for his glory, it's for our own. Paul says that the love of, the love of Christ controls us. So on last time I spoke about the Purit what the Puritans called the love of complacency, meaning God's love of delight or friendship, whereby God delights in his people according to their holiness or Christ-likeness. <clears throat> and I want to look at an example of your first experience of God's love of complacency. God's word says that God has loved every one of his elect before the foundation of the world. He loved you while you were still in your sin. If you are the elect, he loved you before Christ died on the cross for you. But you had never experienced that love. Ephesians 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him 
in love by predestining us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So you see that God predestined his elect in love, but the elect do not experience God's love of complacency until they first believe on Jesus Christ. I'll go further ahead in Ephesians. In him you also, after listening to the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, unto the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. Our experience of God's love for us through Jesus Christ at the time when we come from death to life and repentance and faith causes us to love God and love his saints. It's that experience of his love. You didn't have that before he saved you. You didn't love him. You didn't love his son, Jesus Christ. You certainly didn't love the people around you. But then you experience the love of God. And it's that experience that you want each and every one around you to experience. You want them to experience the God loving them, delighting in them, seeing Christ in them. That's why we evangelize most of the time. We want them to experience that love because we have experienced it. We can't explain how it feels. Sometimes we can't even explain when it first started. But you know it happened. But it says he loved you before the foundation of the world, before you were ever created in your mother's womb. But you never experienced it until he saved you. That's the love we're talking about. That's the love Jude is talking about. So through that experience, you now have a love for Jesus Christ, whom you once hated. Listen to Peter. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, but believe in him, you rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory. This is a love that causes joy. So let's look at Jude 21, from another angle of our salvation in Jesus Christ. But you, beloved, keep yourselves in the love of God. Jude is writing about the family room scene where we are to keep ourselves in the love of God by pleasing him and growing in Christ-likeness. This is where you get those fresh experiences of God's love. We talk about this often, pointing to our justification or God's courtroom scene, where God the judge loves us unconditionally in Jesus Christ because he paid our debt that we could never pay for ourselves. By this we know that we have known love, that he laid down his life for us. And our adoption or God's family room scene where we are loved by God the Father as his children, wherein by our actions God the Father can be pleased or displeased with us. 
See how great a love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not been manifested as yet what we will be. We know that when He is manifested, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as he is pure. So let's look at keeping ourselves in the love of God through the lens of the the doctrine of adoption. And we will see that the adopted children of God are commanded to be pleasing to God the Father. And when they are pleasing to God the Father, they abide in him and he abides in them and he rewards his adopted children for keeping his commandments. Which is amazing because it's all done by his grace, as we just heard Greg say. Yet he still rewards us. We don't deserve them. We're commanded to please him, but now we actually desire to please him. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. So as adopted children of God the Father, we are commanded to please our Father. And our new desire is to be pleasing to God our Father and obey him in Christ our Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4.1 Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Continue in this. Please Him. Hebrews 13.20 and 21 Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, By the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So before we were adopted by God the Father and outside of the new covenant in Jesus Christ, we were dead in our sins, under the curse with Adam children of the devil, sons of disobedience, without faith, and we had no desire to please God, nor could we be pleasing to God. Romans 8, 7, and 8, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Hebrews eleven five through 6, By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found, because God had had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. So when the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ comes with power and saves a child of the devil, that child becomes a new creation in Christ. 
is adopted by God the Father and is now being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Or in other words, that child is becoming more and more Christ-like. Look what God the Father says about our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus experienced the love of his Father as he pleased him when he was in his human form. Look what the Master says about pleasing his Father. John 8, 28-29 So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Do you desire to please God the Father? Do you understand that on one hand, the Father gives rewards to his adopted children that keep his commandments and are pleasing to him? And on the other hand, God the Father is not pleased and does not reward his adopted children that disobey his commandments. And it could be that you've not heard that teaching. You've heard it here about pleasing and displeasing your Heavenly Father after your conversion, or in other words, after you've been adopted by Him. Let's listen to what the Master teaches the adopted children of God on how they can displease and please their Father who is in heaven. And as I go through these verses, I want to remind you of the context that Jesus is not preaching on how to be justified or saved, but Jesus is preaching to those who have already been adopted and saved by God. And as I go through these verses, I will separate them by what is displeasing and what is pleasing to God the Father. And at the same time, you will see what kind of works people do who are practicing religious enthusiasm for their own glory without Christ. So if you want, you can look in Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 18. But I'm going to start out with displeasing. So Matthew 6, 1 through 2. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. That's how you can displease God. Pleasing. Matthew 6, 3 and 4. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. Displeasing. Matthew 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Pleasing. Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, 
will reward you. Displeasing, Matthew 6, 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Pleasing, Matthew 6, 17 through 18. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You see how their reward is just being noticed by people. But our reward is the Father rewards us. He delights in us in Christ. We experience his love upon us through that. And I hope you see from these verses that Jesus is teaching the newly adopted children of God how they must live in order to please God and enjoy God their Father as his, and His rewards. I also hope you see in these verses that Jesus is not teaching on what somebody must do to please God in order to be saved. And that Jesus is not teaching that someone who displeases God can lose their salvation. A Christian can displease God. One man said, God, as our gracious Heavenly Father, is pleased with, accepts, and rewards Christians and our gospel obedience, our gospel devotion, even though it is not sinless or perfect or spotless. There's still sin involved, yet He rewards you, and He takes pleasure in you. And Christ. One man wrote, Let childlike reverence overflow in love to your Father, a love that constrains you to employ all the means of grace to obey his commands and to work for him. Do all you do out of love. Be not mercenary, a servant doth not care to do anything any further than he may be paid for it. But a child doth what he doth out of love. So I hope you understand how this aligns with Jude's command to keep yourselves in the love of God. So I'll read this again, Jude 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Okay, Jude, how do we keep ourselves in the love of God? And as I said before, this is the second part of Jude's application section where Jude gives the second of three commands to the church on how they must contend for the faith. With this command, Jude gives the church three secondary commands in order to be obedient to this command and how to follow this command while staying spiritually healthy. So, primary command, keep yourselves in the love of God. How will we do that? Well, the secondary command, by building yourselves up on your most holy faith. The other secondary command or participle by praying in the Holy Spirit. And then the third participle or secondary command, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. 
In other words, Jude gives the command to the church to keep yourselves in the love of God, but Jude does not leave the church in the dark on how to keep yourselves in the love of God. So how can the church keep themselves in the love of God? Jude answers. Jude's answer comes in a pattern of three. One, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Two, praying in the Holy Spirit. Third, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. If you do all three of those, you'll be keeping yourselves in the love of God. <clears throat> so today our focus is going to be on Jude's, the first participle or secondary command, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. So let's start with the second half of this participle. Your most holy faith. Jude once again is writing about the faith And it's the same faith that Jude wrote about in verse 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you exhorting that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. And I take that common salvation to be the subjective faith. That's, That's your faith. That's your belief in Christ. He wanted to write to you about that, but he had to write about the objective faith to contend for that. Why does Jude refer to the faith to be your most holy faith? I give two answers for this. This is your most holy faith as a believer because it has been entrusted to you from God through Jesus Christ and the prophets and the apostles. I felt the necessity to write to you, exhorting that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. This is your most holy faith because you are a saint. And God has given you and entrusted to you this faith. Second, Jude writes your most holy faith because he wants the church to understand that this faith has only been handed down to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, in order to know, to share, and to guard until Jesus returns. That's why it's your most holy faith. This faith has not been handed down to the devil. It's not been handed down to the world, the antichrist, the false prophets, or the imposters who have crept into the church unnoticed. This is not their faith. This is your faith been entrusted to each and every one of you. Why does Jude refer to the faith as most holy? This faith is called most holy because it comes from the most holy triune God, and it is the only true saving faith or gospel that this world's ever seen. Even the angels long to look into these things. Most holy describes it in the superlative form, meaning most eminent, surpassing all others, supreme. Other words for most holy would be magnificent, transcendent, unparalleled, everlasting, and unchangeable. 1 Peter 1, 23-25, For you have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, that is, through the living and enduring word of God 
For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was proclaimed to you as good news. It's unchangeable. It will endure forever. And it's been entrusted to you. What does the faith consist of? I'll give you six things. First, there is only one God who consists of three persons. The Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, who is creator of everyone and everything. And God has revealed himself through the prophets and the apostles. And through his Son, Jesus Christ. Second, this comes from the 1689 Confession. The Lord God is one, the only living God and true God. He is self-existent and infinite in being and perfection. His essence cannot be understood by anyone but him. He is a perfectly pure spirit. He is invisible and has no body, parts, or changeable emotions. He alone has immortality. Dwelling in light that no one can approach, he is unchangeable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, in every way, infinite, absolutely holy, perfectly wise, wholly free, completely absolute. He works all things according to the counsel of his own will for his glory. He is most loving, gracious, merciful, and patient. He overflows with goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. He rewards those who seek him diligently. At the same time, he is perfectly just and terrifying in his judgments. He hates all sin and will certainly not clear the guilty. Third, God glorifies himself through his salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Fourth, God promises salvation to Adam and Eve after the fall of Adam, when through Adam sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned under the federal headship of Adam as their representative. Fifth, Jesus Christ is both God and man. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary to become the mediator, the propitiation, the representative of all who are justified which is justification, is only through Christ alone. Sixth, the gospel of the person and work of Jesus Christ, and that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that Christ is alive and sits at the right hand of God, that Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead, that God commands everyone everywhere to repent and believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And so that's what the faith consists of. There's more, most likely, lots more. But that's an easy part to just look at daily, remember those things. And that word faith can be interchanged with the word gospel. So back to Jude 20, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. The word building here is a metaphor that the New Testament writers use. It gives the idea of the construction of a building, a temple, or a sanctuary, which starts with Jesus Christ as the foundation, along with the apostles and the prophets, otherwise known as the Word of God, which will also build the floors, walls, roof, and everything else that is needed to complete the building project. 
So as Greg taught us in 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 16, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another man is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will indicate it because it is revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet so as through fire, do you not know that you are a sanctuary of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers or sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being joined together is growing into a holy sanctuary in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. You see the metaphor, the construction, the building up? 2 Corinthians 6.16, For we are the temple of the living God, So building yourselves here based on the New Testament has two meanings. Yourselves, in the singular, which speaks of the believer's personal responsibility to to build yourself up on your most holy faith. So 1 Peter 2, 2 through 5, Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that is your personal responsibility to be building yourself up. Another one that's personal. Colossians 2, 6 through 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and being built up in him, and having been established in your faith, just as you are instructed and abounding with thanksgiving, So building yourselves, each one of you, responsible to build yourselves up. But there's a second. Yourselves in the plural speaks of the believer's corporate responsibility to build one another up on your most holy faith. Ephesians 6, 11 through 16. And he himself gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, 
to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the full knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, so that we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking truth and love, we are to grow up in all respects into him who is seated, who is the head, that is, Christ, from whom the whole body, being joined and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the properly measured working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself and love. And you see the plurality that takes everyone in the church to build upon Christ, that everyone in the church would come to a full maturity and the full knowledge of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 through 11, we heard Greg preach on this. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, comfort one another and build up one another just as you are also doing. So there's a personal responsibility to build yourself up in the faith and then the corporate responsibility to build one another up in the faith. How do we build ourselves up on our most holy faith? The believer should be constantly going to the Word of God, mainly the objective truth of the gospel or the faith, to know more of Christ and to be conformed to His image. So how do we build ourselves up? Acts 20, 20, 32. And now I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who have been sanctified. You go to the faith, found in his word, and you are built up. 1 Peter 2.2, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. You have that experience of his love, and you keep going back to his word, mainly that body, the faith, the gospel, and you're drinking it up from the well. You're eating of his flesh, you're drinking of his blood, and you're growing, you're being built up in Christ. And then this comes from the negative point of view, but still gives the idea of the word impacting the reader. Hebrews 6, 4 through 5. For in the case of those once having been enlightened and having tasted of the heavenly gift and having become partakers of the Holy Spirit and having tasted the good word of God and the power of the age to come. He's still saying it comes from the word. Go to that word. So all of these are pointing to the word of God, mainly the objective truth of the gospel or the faith which builds the believer up into full maturity 
or which is completing the construction of the house, the sanctuary, or the temple of God. That's sanctification. The believer is not going to the word of God just to gain more knowledge in order to be smarter or better than others. But the believer is going to the word, mainly the, object, the objective truth of the gospel or the faith, in order to gain a greater knowledge of Jesus Christ, which leads to a greater experience of the love of Jesus Christ, and in turn causes obedience in the heart of the believer, which causes the believer to be more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. This becomes the routine or the pattern of the believer. And as the believer continues in this experience, they produce more and more fruit to the glory of God, and God rewards the believer with more and more experience of his love. Make it your daily pattern. Could you imagine just experience the love of God every day in the morning when you wake up? Or at lunchtime, or when you go to bed. You just have a fresh experience of that love because you're just looking to Christ and you're being built up by the word of God that is fruitful. Romans 6, 17 through 18, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were given over, and having been freed from your sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So how am I being built up? I've obeyed from the heart. It's impacted me. I felt it. I experienced it. What? The pattern of teaching. That teaching about the faith. That word of God causes that obedience in the heart. 2 Peter 1, 2-8 Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the full knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the full knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lusts. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the full knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you're going to the word. You're obedient in the heart. And you see that it just keeps building up. It just keeps building up until the full knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ is in you. 1 John 2, 5-6 but whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God has been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So do you see that building pattern? You start walking in the same manner as he walked. He was obedient. Now you're obedient in him. And now you're being built up. And the end one is love. All of a sudden you love God. You love the saints. 
Jesus Christ is your foundation. The truths and promises of the faith in God's word produce knowledge, experience, and obedience, causing you to love God and love your neighbors yourself, which is the building up of yourselves on your most holy faith. One man said, all biblical truth, unless productive of holiness and love, are of no avail. They may float upon the surface of your understanding, but that is to no purpose unless they transform the heart and the life. You see, you're going to the Word so you can know more of Him. To be built up. And the end of that building is love. How do we build one another up in our most holy faith? I'm sticking just to the positive verses here. 2 Peter 1, 12 through 15. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been strengthened in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. As also our Lord Jesus Christ had indicated to me, and I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. So Peter's saying, as long as I'm here, I'm going to remind you of the things you already know to build you up in the faith. That's what he's doing, and that's how we can build one another up. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So there's been a lot of people focused lately on the assembling together, but the purpose. Consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing, that's how you build one another up in the faith. Stirring one another, encouraging another. Remember Jesus Christ. I know you remember him, but remember him again. Look unto Christ. How do we build one another up? 1 John 4, 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, 
Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. We have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son, God abides in him and he in God. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has in us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love has been perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has not seen, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. How do you build up the saints around you? You love them, as Christ Jesus loved him and loves you. How is building yourselves up on your most holy faith contending for the faith? Well, this is a witness of the power of the gospel in your life that is complete. It's a complete contrast to what the imposters are doing, which is tearing down, causing divisions, disobeying the commands of the gospel, turning the grace of our God into sensuality, and denying our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. How do I contend for the faith? By keeping myself in the love of God, by pleasing God, and by building myself up, and by building you up. Just by doing that, we are contending for the faith, according to Jude. Why will this stand out? I mean, it's got to look different, this love for one another. Well, we'll end here. Matthew 24, Jesus spoke these words. And at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will deceive many. And because lawlessness is multiplied, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures till the end, he will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in the whole world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. How can you contend for the faith? By keeping your love of God and your love for one another, and it will be a witness to the nations that this gospel has power, and it won't stop until he returns. Amen. Just a reminder as we sing this next song that Brian and Greg and I will be standing over here. If you need prayer, 
praise God for something, requests healing, come over, pray with us, or pray for us. Thank you.